The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Hello, friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. This week, we're going to review Austin's matches against LAFC and San Jose. We'll preview the upcoming LA Galaxy match. We're also going to answer a ton of listener questions and then cover a few other pieces of Austin FC news. My name's Landon Cottom, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. Landon, let's talk shirts, or let's talk a, let's talk a shirt. Yeah, so many of you may have seen this on social media, but we now have Moon Tower Soccer shirts available. They don't exist yet. We're just doing a pre-order right now. And so if you want a Moon Tower Soccer shirt, it's it's going to be a, a green shirt and it's the beautiful Moon Tower Soccer logo as designed by Mr. Joel Corral. Uh, but yeah, you can pre-order, pre-order yours at com. We're going to do this pre-order, I think, until this weekend. So we'll say, let's say Saturday's the deadline. Uh, the Saturday after this show comes out, uh, don't wait. We're like, we're not going to print that many. We'll probably print a few extras, but this is mostly just going to be this pre-order. So if you think you might want one, go ahead and get one now. We're, uh, we, we don't want to throw a ton of money into printing a bunch of shirts. I know, I know that y'all think that we're just rolling in the dough, uh, off of all these, the podcast revenue that we're, we're making here, but the truth is that barely even pays for my beer at Q2. So I think it's be- that's beautiful. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, so what we, uh, one of our very first Twitter questions was from a guy who wanted to know if we had, what was it? Do we only have shirts for skinny hipsters or <laughs> n- normal size 40 year old beer drinking guys? And we, we have both. So we, we, we hit all the, all the groups. Yeah, they're going to be standard unisex sizing. So whatever you normally wear, that's that's what you can order. So, all right, let's jump in and talk about some soccer. Austin had two games this week. They had a one to two loss against LAFC and a three to four loss against San Jose. Jeremiah, let's do a quick little mood check because I've talked to several people whose moods during and after these games has been kind of all over the place as to like how they're feeling after these losses. What is, let, let's just say like after, after either of them or one of them or whichever, like are you leaving these games as disappointed or as upset as you were at a point earlier on in the season? I would say for a team that's on a five match losing streak, I'm like weirdly encouraged about it. I just, <laughs> you know, after seeing the Houston and seeing, seeing how they played against the dynamo and like everything that went wrong. Um, and then just like seeing the way they attacked against LAFC and the way uh, it's actually both these, the way they gave it, the way they seem to really like give it their all in both matches left me feeling encouraged. I don't know if the results are necessarily follow, but you know, they're leaving it out there and they didn't quit. I mean, they, they clearly, even though they're the worst team in the Western conference right now, like they haven't quit on the season and so it's good to see that fight and it's good to see that spirit. And so I'm in a pretty good place given the results of this week. How about you? I feel exactly the same. I mean, the Houston game was like a very low point. I think that's my my low point of the whole season is that Houston game. Just because, like you said, it, it didn't look like the players were trying that hard or even cared that much about it. And the LAFC game, there was lots to not like about it. And we'll get into that. But 
it looked like this this uh, the players gave a damn like and whenever that lineup came out that's what i thought and like again like judging lineups i think i'm looking at those differently as well whenever i saw jared stroud and sebastian burhalter in the starting lineup i think earlier in the season i would have been like a little bit nervous about those two but coming into this one my thoughts were these are two guys who are going to work their asses off the whole game even if maybe they aren't as talented as some of the other guys that we could play, we know that they're going to give it, give it their all while they're on the field. And I imagine that's why Wolf picked them for those games. And so, yeah, in both the LAFC game and the San Jose game, I don't think you could, um, you could discredit anybody for not trying hard and not working and kind of giving it their all because they, they were giving it that effort, which is, yeah, I, again, very encouraging to see. And, uh, yeah, I, I too have like maybe just changed my expectations and all I want to see is some signs of encouragement just because this season is, is all but, but gone at this point. Like we're not going to get much else out of this season except for maybe some momentum and some, uh, some things to build off of going into next season. And so any little positives I can take away is great. And then I'm not going to let myself get get too beat up over, over any of these losses at this point. Yeah, and one other thing that was very different that I want to talk about a little bit from L.A. after the nightmarish fan experience that everybody had in Houston with uh, people getting jumped on the street and whatever. And I think that... Uh, GoFundMe. Last time I checked, by the way, it's like raised eighty seven hundred dollars. So Jeez. like they did, they that was great that everybody came together. But on Tuesday, some of the leaders, which is the day before the game, so the leaders at thirty two fifty two came to town and like went to Pine House Pizza with like a with a group of us and just like hung out and had pizza and beer and had a good time. And then there were probably another two dozen or so. Like the most of the LAFC traveling contingent like came to Hop Squad on Wednesday before the match and like hung out and they were cool and we talked a lot about supporters culture and what it meant and like the way to build things and it was just a really positive friendly fun experience and probably what soccer ought to be in very much a a different environment than it was when we played in houston just a few days before no way man we got to fight each other before the games (laughs) that's the only real way to like (laughs) soccer yeah, exactly. No, I love I think I think that's a thing that's maybe a little bit different with some of the newer teams, right? I think you see that more with with newer teams because they were the new guy at one point. And I think they probably had a few of the other teams treat them well as they were coming into the league. And so you've seen that from from supporters around the country kind of look at look at us being the new guys the same way. And if I know among supporters group leadership, there's been a lot of knowledge and kind of help being shared back and forth through that as we were getting started. So yeah, I, I love that, that, that is a thing that is possible to have away fans come into town and show them a good time. And then that we can kind of do the same thing or be treated that same way as we go into other, uh, other cities in the future. So, but then the game itself happened. (laughs) We should probably (laughs) talk about that a little bit too. Yeah. So right off the bat, the third minute, Sebastian Jussi scored a goal, but uh, ended up getting called back after a VAR check. And I don't, did you ever see uh, a shot of the actual offside? I don't know that the cameras even caught it. I think, yeah, that's one where it was really tough to see. I think if I remember right, hearing report, just like reading tweets and 
Slack reports from people that in the stands probably felt like it was offside, but we never really got a good camera angle on that. Yeah, it wasn't on Driussi himself. It was on Cecilio who played the ball to Driussi. And just judging on when the camera catches up to him and he receives the ball, he's pretty far ahead of a defender. And Cecilio is not that fast. Uh, <laughs> right. And so I'm it seems right to me. So I don't know that that's one that needs to be questioned too hard, but it would have been really great to be able to score a goal that early. Um the rest of the first half remained pretty even and the, the next goal doesn't come until the 59th minute and that's a penalty kick. Also another VAR decision. This one is maybe a little bit more questionable. What did, what was your assessment of, of that penalty call? And this was the ball that that was supposed to have hit Diego in the arm, right? Is that that was a handball in the box? Yeah, that, Kim Moon Juan had it out just outside the box and put it across and uh they called handball on Diego after the VAR review. Yeah, that was a really that was a hard one to see too, right? Because that was happening on the other that was happening on the other side from where I was. So I didn't know in the moment even what the call was. Um it, it until definitely he went to VAR. hit his arm. Diego kind of jumps and turns his back and as he's jumping puts his arm up like next to his head and it hits him in the arm. And oh, so, that's right. Uh of the the two handball calls we got this week, that was the more um the more handball-y of the two. <laughs> I was gonna say, if you say this is like the more uh obvious of the two, we were gonna have a dispute about that because the one we will get to later was very questionable, but yeah, it was the more handball of the two for sure. Yeah, so I mean, I've done a lot of digging into the rules, and we'll talk about those a little later in the show. But um, based on the rules, I think this one is probably more on the side of actually being a handball. I could see a situation where a, a certain ref doesn't call it, but I'm not too worked up about this one. I think it was probably the right call. Um, 67th minute, not long after that, uh, Cecilia Dominguez kind of chopping it back and forth on guys in the box, chips the keeper, bounces off the post. Uh, Diego is able to to get in on the rebound and puts it in. That ties it up 1-1. And then in the 81st minute, Danny Masovsky ends up scoring a goal, uh, assisted by Cifuentes, which Cifuentes had a really good game against us last time they came here, if I remember correctly. So he kind of has has our number, that one. But... um. Yeah, a disappointing game, but I don't know that I could say that L.A. didn't deserve it. I think they probably deserved to win that game. But yeah, you, I don't know. It's Again, the guys worked hard the whole game. They were trying. They put in a really good effort. And I, I think that's most of what people wanted to see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially, like you said, following that Houston match. I mean, knowing L.A. had been pretty hot, I think... Phil West maybe wrote an article for the Striker Texas leading leading up to it, like uh, the the rest of the league should be on notice because LAFC is getting hot. So I was not at all surprised by that uh, outcome. There was one right before the second goal. What was it? Um, Ring had a ball that he almost scored. This is something else we'll talk about too, like the impact of Alex Ring on the offense this week. But he was he was so close to putting his head right there at like I think seventy nine or so. He had a ball that was like just wide would have made a big difference in the game too. Yeah, so one of the the talking points of this game was that Musa Jite didn't come into the game until I think it was the 87th minute in a game where we're trailing by one for uh 
almost 30 minutes. No, sorry, not 30 minutes. We were tied with almost 30 minutes to go, and then they scored in the 81st minute, and Jite had still not been put in. And at the time, I was like, I don't like, we haven't been seeing him in practice. Like, maybe he's not doing well. Like, I would, I, I want to see him, and I think he probably should have gotten put in early, but maybe he's not looking that good in training. Maybe he's not fit yet. And then the San Jose game comes along, and we get to see him play at the start of that one. And I think his performance in the San Jose game made me retroactively madder that, at the fact that <laughs> the, he didn't get didn't put play, in earlier yeah. in the L.A. game. <laughs> yeah, I think that's totally fair. So what were the other, what were the other subs in the L.A. game? Uh, there was one at halftime again. So Stroud came off for Redis. And then Danny Pereira came in the 63rd minute for Burhalter. And then in the 87th minute, Hector Jimenez That's came on for Julio Cascante and GJ came on for Dominguez. And uh, Nick Lima actually ended up playing some center back for the last few minutes. Oh, that's kind of wild. Yeah, and that's something else we get. So Rodney looked decent in that game. I think that's something else we'll get into because he had a pretty good week. Yeah. In, in, in Rodney-adjusted terms. Yeah, he, absolutely. He was pretty strong. Yeah, much better than he has in pretty much any of his last outings. I, I might venture to say these two games were his best performances of the season. But yeah, jumping forward to the San Jose game, Musajite finally does get that start. And so the starting lineup there ends up being uh, the back line. Well, I don't I would say the back line you'd expect. Not really. Nick Lima at left back, Romagna at center back, Cascante at center back, Jimenez at right back. So, uh, Matt Beasler still not on the roster for either of these games, still out with the concussion. He's apparently was on a, an exercise bike at one day. I don't remember what day it was at training. So he's at least doing something, but it does that seem kind of odd to you that he's been out so long with a concussion? Well, it does to me is given the way it looked when it happened, you know, he was trying to, we talked about that. Like he was trying to get himself back on the field in the moment. So it didn't look like anything very, very serious. And he's, it's a different defense when we don't have Matt Beasler as an option at all, for sure. So I'm surprised that he was out for both games. And I'm, I'm encouraged about the fact that like, we finally got a whole <clears throat> clear week to recover and I'm looking forward to the LA galaxy lineup. But yeah, I was surprised by that. Yeah. And so going forward, uh, ring and, uh, Pereira started together in the midfield. Actually, this one, they had a lot of places had it listed as 4-2-3-1. I think, er, especially early in the game, it was looking more like a 4-3-3 with, with Pereira as a single pivot. So it was like Pereira at the six, Ring and Drusi ahead of him. And the front line was Pochettino on the left, Gite at the nine, Gallagher on the right, which I don't know that we've seen Pochettino on the left like that before. He's only started on the wing one or two times, really. And so he's starting on the left wing. That was a, a slightly different look there. Um, but yeah, very excited to see Gite playing. And then he, like I said before, looked fantastic. He was so good. What what was your impression of him? He's Yeah, he was absolutely, he, he just did all the, he's like a striker doing striker things. I think it's what I, it's what I tweeted during the game. And he was involved in some way in all three goals in the first half, right? I mean, I don't think yeah. he Yeah, I mean, he was he was around it or he he created the space for Gallagher. I mean, he was just 
everything you would want you would want him to be. We had talked about his size before, and he's definitely I think he's supposed to be 165 pounds. He definitely weighs he's more than 165 than pounds. He may be 5'11, because I feel like when he goes up, he's not he doesn't have a lot of height. So I, I would believe his listed height, but yeah, so, I don't I don't buy his listed weight. Taylor uh Taylor Rudolph, who is one of the the maniacs who went out to the airport and met him there, <laughs> met G Taylor when he arrived. Taylor is a tall guy. Uh, I don't know how tall he is, but he's he's a big dude. And he was guessing just standing next to G Taylor that G Taylor was at least six feet tall, okay. if not six one. So I don't know. Like it's hard to say unless you can actually measure him, and that would be a weird request to make. Um, <laughs> but he he looks like a tank, and he looked like he was. Like those center backs that he was going up against are having a hard time kind of keeping up with him physically. And he kind of beat some guys up several times during the game. But um, watching his high, like his, his footage from France, I could tell there were a few things. Like I knew he was going to move well in the box. He's a big dude, could hold, could kind of take care of himself has a really powerful shot, which we didn't really get to see in this game. But one thing that I think stuck stuck out in this game that I didn't quite catch from the footage I watched was uh, just his touch. Like several times guys would, would hit balls into his feet pretty hard and it would just stop, stop dead on his foot. And that's super encouraging to see. And then little flick, like back heel flicks he was doing and like receiving the ball, turning and facing up and then distributing wide things that we've just not seen anybody else on the team be able to do. And I mean, Cecilio has done a serviceable job at that position, but that touch, whenever you can just receive a ball and turn and face goal immediately, that's nobody on the team can do that. And so it's super encouraging to see that he has that in his, in his toolkit. Yeah, it was really great. That was really great to see. And he was involved um, early. So we picked up our first goal six minutes into the match it was Sebastian Driussi picking up his third goal of the season in what, like, how many, like, a very few minutes. I don't remember. I looked this up earlier. How many minutes has he played? He was, what, eight games? Oh. Yeah, and he's only, I don't know if he's played 90 yet, has he? He has Maybe once so. or twice, but, um, yeah. So he's Drew's, been super efficient. Yeah, absolutely. He's been great. So <laughs> that goal, uh, it started with, Again, mentioning Jite, Jite was involved in this one. So Ring plays a pretty hard pass into Jite's feet. He faces up his defender and ends up laying it back off to Ring, who made a run. Um, Ring drives into the box and creates a little bit of space away from his defender. He crosses it into Jite, who heads it down. Uh, Marcinkowski is able to get down and save it, but Driussi is streaking into the box and is able to, to finish it. Uh, after the rebound. So one nil pretty early on really good start for Austin there. Um, San Jose ended up leveling it in the 17th minute. It was a header off of a corner. It was a really nice header. Um, Marcos Lopez started on the backside and kind of looped around trying to catch some picks from his teammates as they were crashing the box and Gallagher didn't mark him aggressively enough and kind of lost him. It was still, uh, the header was from pretty far out and it was really well placed and really powerful. So the header was good, but I think if Gallagher would have marked him a little more aggressively, that one could have been prevented probably. 
Uh, then the 35th minute, Austin goes up 2-1 with uh, John Gallagher's goal. So Ring plays a little give-and-go with Pereira. So plays it for Pereira at the top of the box, and then it makes a run. Pereira plays a really nice through ball to Ring. Ring looks up, and you see uh, Musajite standing like right at the top of the six. And I thought he was playing it to him. And so Ring plays the ball across, and it goes past Musajite to John Gallagher streaking into the back post, and he puts it in. Do you think that Ring was trying to play it to Gite and missed, or did he see Gallagher the whole time? I don't. I felt like he was trying to play it to Gite, but I also feel like Gite could have made like an aggressive move on the ball that probably would have not resulted like in a goal. I feel like he held up a little bit. Like maybe he knew that Gallagher was making the run because I think he could have got a foot on it, but he would not have scored because the goalie was coming right up on him at the time. It would have been like as the ball arrived to Gite, it would have been a tougher goal than the one that Gallagher scored. And so like threading the needle and getting the ball to Gallagher was a little more risky. But once the ball got there, it was a much easier goal than the one mm-hmm. that Gite would have scored. But I don't I don't know that Gite let it go. He looked a little bit disappointed. After you don't the think ball so? <laughs> no. Yeah. And that's, I, don't, I don't know that. Rick, well, I guess that's this is the advantage. of This is the good part of having people crashing into the box. Yeah. You know, right. Ring plays that across. And we with both those guys making runs. Right. It, you know, somebody's going to have a great opportunity. Yeah. Then in the. 45th minute Alex Ring scores a goal from outside the box so uh I think in this one is the one that you could you could still say Gta was somewhat involved in so Gta makes a a really hard run and a center back has to chase him chase him through down the field there Dreesy also makes a run they leave a really big gap at the top of the box and uh, I think Eric Rometty was the one uh, that was man marking ring there and he's not there for whatever reason. So ring just takes that space and keeps going and nobody ever stops him. He hits it. I think it deflects off of the center backs back maybe, but it takes just enough of a touch to, to get Marcinkowski a little bit off balance and sneaks into the far post. Yeah. And, and there was much rejoicing in Austin and <laughs> we were up three, one and cruising toward a dominating victory. And then halftime came. Yeah. Halftime came. So at the half, well, let's go back a little bit. 30 minutes in, Musajite sits down on the field and the trainers are are uh, seeing to him. It looked like he was probably just cramping and Josh Wolf confirmed that after the game that it was cramping. But after he comes back out at halftime, uh, he ends up being subbed off for Dominguez. And then Danny Pereira gets subbed off and Burhalter comes on. So I've seen a lot of folks not very happy with these subs. Um, and so, yeah, one our first listener question here is from uh, William Heredia, who is Tiny Sebastian's dad, I believe. Uh, he says, what is your take on the subs that took place after the half? Besides the Gta sub, were they reasonable? So first of all, I think a lot of people didn't realize that Gta had gone down and was was struggling. And so I would imagine most people who found that out would understand why he came off. But, um, a lot of people were upset about Pereira coming off. What what was your take on that, Jeremiah? I didn't think Pereira had a great first half and I can see that. And I feel like Berhalter's played better lately. So I'm, I'm, I did not have a problem with that sub at all. I know a lot of people were upset about GTA. You're right. 
But I don't, and a lot of people said, also I saw, if he's not hurt, this is the worst sub ever. So hopefully that caveat was met because he wasn't doing well and he needed to come off. Yeah, and Jite, after the game, he was the the player that that did the the press conference after the game. He he seemed a little bit disappointed to come off, but he was like, "Yeah, I was I was cramping for sure, but in the end, it was the coach's call." And he said, "Like I'm I'm fine. I'll I'll be ready to go soon, and I respect the coach's decision." But so he he seemed like it wasn't super serious that maybe he could have gone a bit more, but like at this point in the season like why risk that right that that's kind of the way i see it yeah and and that is the like the you were trying to learn about guys and what their long-term potential is you want to see like nobody's won an mls cup you want to see like what gta can do right now because we've got an off season we're going to go into and we need to see where we need to build and that's where we need to put everybody in their best position to succeed and see what see what they have yeah so i'd i'd rather take him off at half and play him 60 75 minutes against LA Galaxy as opposed to not take him off at half and he missed the next three games with the pulled hamstring or whatever. Um the Pereira one, yeah, I so I was watching pretty closely on my rewatch to see how Pereira was doing. His first 20 minutes were pretty bad. He I think he had three pretty egregious turnovers and uh a yellow card. He got a yellow card like in the first three minutes, like really early in the game. And by the 30th minute, the ref had already gone over to him. I think one, at least once, maybe twice and kind of told him like, Hey, you need to chill or you're going to get a second yellow here. Cause he was still playing really aggressively and making some not great decisions at times. And so um, looking at the rest of the game, I think overall you're right. Sebastian has been playing a little bit better. He did make a few mistakes, and I think it was one of the goals that he made a mistake yeah, that kind of that was a really bad one on the I think it was the third goal. It led it it started a goal. I we'll get to it in a second. I think there's other things that could have prevented it still. But so I think you could look at that and trade it off and say, like, okay, well, he put this guy on who made these mistakes, but Danny made those mistakes earlier on in the game. And then looking back at the LAFC game. Danny Pereira is not maybe like 50% at fault for Galaxy's go-ahead goal. He gives the ball away and then goes and tries to tackle the guy who wins it from him, completely misses and like rakes his shin. I think he might have gotten a yellow card on that play, but uh, they ended up scoring on that one off of a turnover from him. And so I think a lot of people are acting like, Danny was going to be the one who's going to save this game for us. And I just don't know that that's true. He, the last, the last half of the first half, he did play pretty well and he was involved in some, some really nice moves, but um, I was very nervous that he was going to get sent off in that first half. And so I was not in, in the, in the moment, I was not that upset to see him get taken off because I was very nervous during the game. Uh, so in the 49th minute, Christian Espinosa scores a goal. Uh, I think this one is probably on Johan Romagna. Uh, he was tracking es- Espinosa. The ball gets played across Johan's face, and Johan just like follows the ball as it crosses him and is focused on the guy who receives the ball. Espinosa runs behind him, and they play the ball to him, and he ends up one on one with Stuver and 
Romagna just like completely forgot he existed in the moment. So um, Johan did some really amazing things in this game, but I think he really showed where he needs to improve as well in in a, a few different moments that he could have done a lot better in certain certain things. In the 55th minute, this is the the handball we mentioned earlier on in the show, but there's a free kick from uh, out wide, hit in pretty hard into the box, and Alex Ring goes up to clear it. It goes off of his thigh, hits his hand, and then goes out of bounds. This was, again, VAR reviewed, not given in the moment. They come out and give the penalty and uh Chofis ends up scoring the goal. So this one I don't think should have been a penalty. And yeah, I don't know. What what was your take on that one? Yeah, I completely agree. And again again it was on the other end. And so at first I couldn't even figure out what they were reviewing for. So after watching the replay a bunch of times, I just don't know how that's a penalty because he didn't I mean his arm was up, right? But he didn't really make him he didn't make himself wider than the ball and hit his and it hit his leg first. So I'm very questionable about that. Yeah, one. I I was digging into the rules because I I'd seen a lot of people saying that like the rule this year is that if it comes off of your leg and then hits your hand, it shouldn't be a penalty. And then so MLS is in kind of a weird phase where we are using the most recent set of IFAB's rules. Whereas the penalty, or sorry, the Premier League is still using the last set of them, so they're using the twenty twenty one. And IFAB is, uh, it is like the international, like governing body that like creates the rules of football essentially. Okay, because of MLS's weird schedule and we're off from everyone else, MLS is actually using the twenty twenty one twenty twenty two rules whereas most of the world is still using the 2020-2021 rules. And the handball rule is slightly different between these two sets of rules. That being said, the the rule still gives the ref a lot of, uh, essentially the right to use their discretion and to say if they think that this was a handball or not. When the ball bounces off of Alex Ring's leg, it was going like straight up and probably out of bounds. And so when it hits his hand, it honestly deflects the ball into a more dangerous position than it was going in. And so I just don't understand. Like I, I, I think the, where it would be understandable is if his hand had deflected it more away from goal, but that wasn't the case. His hand like kept it more in play if anything. And so, yeah, I, I think that one was pretty bad. So Wolf in the post game press conference, was asked about this and he said that on the field the fourth official had told him that it had like that it didn't hit his leg that it had directly hit his arm and so we're not sure if if that fourth official was told the wrong thing or if that's what Toledo the main ref thought in the moment which if he saw the same angles that we saw on the the TV replay I don't understand how he came to that conclusion but um but yeah, I, I think overall a bad a bad call, and I don't think that Toledo had a great game overall either. That's a very generous assessment of, how, <laughs> of the game that he had. But yes, it was not great. And very ominously, it was Alex Ring's first yellow, which will come into play later on uh, in, in, in how it all turned out. 
Yeah. So uh, 59th minute, when they actually finally took the penalty, uh, Chofis scores the goal. And as he's running into the goal, there's several players running into the goal to try to pick up the ball, one of them being Julio Cascante. He runs into the goal. Christian Espinosa shoves him super hard in the back and throws him into the back of the net. Brad Stuver sees this and starts stomping across the penalty box and throws a shoulder into him like a linebacker and drops him. And could could you see all this unfolding from your seats? Yeah, 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 we could. I mean, the Stuver was, it was like watching, you know, a, a, like watching a football player where a guy gets laid out going yeah. across the middle. Yeah. I saw, I could see it all happening. Like Stuver was not that close to him when it happened. And you see Cascante get thrown in the back of the net. And as I saw Stuver running across the box, I had like the simultaneous thoughts of this is a terrible idea and he's going to get sent off. And also I've never wanted anything to happen more in my <laughs> life. <laughs> right. Right. And he even like for the football comparison, he like took the best angle. Like he, yeah. he knew exactly where Espinosa was going and he got took- his head across the shoulder, the right angle <laughs> <Yeah>. there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I think we, we talked about this on Twitter, but I feel like that was a tactically dumb, but like, psychologically important play to make. And so I'm a hundred percent team Stuver on, on what he did, but also I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I guess the disciplinary stuff hasn't come out yet, but yeah, I, would, I could see him facing some kind of penalty for this. Yeah. And I know we just spoke poorly of, of the ref Toledo, but I think to his credit here, he gives both players a yellow. I think he very easily could have given, given, Espinosa a yellow and Stuver a red or both of them a red. And I think this is a, a, a case of like street justice a little bit. He's like, okay, you both got your shot in. We're going to give you both yellows and call it fair, which I, I think was a good decision. Like you don't want to give reds if you don't have to. Uh, speaking of reds, <laughs> 64th minute, not long after this, um, Sebastian Berhalter misplaces a pass to ring around the top of the box ring stretches out and tries to get it, but isn't able to control it. And Eric Rometty picks up the ball ring goes after him and just takes out his frustration on Eric Rometty's ankle gets nowhere near the ball, uh, gets his second yellow. And I, again, I, in the moment I could see this coming a mile away. I said, he's going to get sent off right now. He's that's it. He's gone. And then the ref slowly walks over and pulls that yellow card out. And it's, I thought that was, that card was completely deserved. I think it's unjust that it was his second yellow because the first one wasn't deserved, but that second yellow was completely deserved. And I think Alex Ring should have kept his head a little better there. Yeah, I totally agree. And I feel like that's something we've seen a little bit from him where he, he made like a heavy touch before and like lean, you know, he like laid out to overcompensate for it. So at that point, we're down four three i think yeah um but i never really felt like statistically that that was what it looked like i mean so we're playing we're down four three ring gets a red we're playing 10 on 11 and like feel like we dominated the ball and dominated the uh opportunities in the last 25 or well actually the last like 30 minutes of the game because it's the first time i've seen the plus nine also yeah um for sure yeah, the San Jose was actually winning possession for most of the game. And I think we overtook them in the second half when we were playing down a man. 
And I think one other moment I want to talk about before we get into sort of the whole overall narrative and questions. I don't remember where this was, but it was like 68 or 69 where the San Jose guy goes down on the <laughs> yeah. sideline, rolls onto the field, and then Julio Cascante offers to roll him back or like tries to roll him back onto the sideline. Like that was a beautiful, that was a beautiful moment. Yeah. We, we if for those of you who uh, follow at Watkey on Twitter, who does his uh, his housing videos where he breaks down uh, different different moments and different games and kind of critiques how how good or bad they were doing their housing. Uh, this player, I don't remember what player it was, but he actually is off the field, steps onto the field, lays down. Cascante goes and picks him up and puts him off the field, and he rolls back onto the field. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I loved it. Cascante got a yellow out of it because apparently yeah. rolling a guy off the field is not allowed. Again, this goes back to the whole Stuver thing. Like, it was a bad idea, and I like I knew it was a bad idea always doing it, but I also kind of enjoyed it while it was happening. <laughs> um, is there anything else in the game you want to talk about before we kind of jump to player performances and things like that? No, let's 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 uh, maybe roll into a break, and then we can t- talk about where we stand right now, and and answer some Twitter questions, and wrap it all up. Okay, great. Yeah, let's do that break. We'll come back and uh, finish our kind of post game wrap up, and then we also have a lot more listener questions that we're going to try to answer, and then we're also going to talk about uh, the academy and a, f- uh, a few other things regarding Austin FC news. So hang tight. We'll be right back. No one is Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FVF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. And I have seen my first FVF billboards around town. And unlike, yeah, unlike uh, angry guys with crossed arms or people like (laughs) standing on top of crushed cars and trucks, uh, they've got a great, they've done a great job of really just highlighting what they're doing for the community and how they can educate people and how they're helping their clients to like have a better outcome of a case. So it's very, very FVF on brand. And, you know, one thing that I really appreciate about uh, the partnership and what we've done working with them. Yeah, absolutely. We are very happy to be partnering with them still and and hope to get to do it further on in the future. So you can go to FEF.law to find out what makes FEF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's FEF.law. Jeremiah, let's talk about hot sauce. Hot sauce is one of my favorite topics. And there's a particular type of hot sauce. It's one of my favorite types of hot sauce. And that is Teardrop Pepper Company, which has finally created the perfect recipe right here in Austin, Texas, with their all-natural award-winning hot sauce that has a delicious blend of flavor and heat, enhancing your favorite foods and leaving you wanting more. Whether you like the zesty kick of Golden Habanero or garlicky smoothness of Supreme Serrano, it's the best way to spice up your Austin FC pre-match meals. Teardrop Pepper Company has two unique flavors, and you can order from their website, teardroppepperco.com, or from their social media pages. And we just saw our friend Luke Martinez posting, uh, I think he was like listening to a podcast and eating Teardrop Pepper. <laughs> uh, I think it was the uh, I think it was the Golden Habanero. So every, everybody should do that. When you yeah, listen to the man. podcast, 
eat hot sauce while you do it. <laughs> it they pair well together. Uh, my For sure. My dad was in town this last week. They came to the LAFC game. Uh, my parents came to the LAFC game with me, and he got to try the hot sauce, and so he really liked it. And he's going to order some now. So it's another bottle sold there. Teardrop. Uh, you can use the offer code. Go- you can use the offer code Goal. That's G O A L to save ten percent off your order. Put it on everything. They'll make more. All right, Jeremiah, we are back. Let's jump into some of the player performances after the San Jose game. So yeah. we've already talked a little bit about how good GJ looked in the 45 minutes that he played. We talked a little bit about Alex Ring and kind of the the positives and the negatives of Ring and you know you're going to get that fire from him and uh sometimes it turns into red cards which i let's we can do this one question real quick but i think it was the austin fc uk account is that who asked that one jeremiah yeah he did it was more of a statement so the guy so alex rings had two red cards in his entire mls career and they happened to have both been this season in austin which seems odd it seems on that's impossible uh like it, I don't understand how he plays the way he does and has only gotten and hasn't red gotten cards. hasn't yeah. gotten one before. The That's what I thought. Yeah, the man's thirty years old. Um, but yeah, and another stat I wanted to mention about this game is there were nine yellow cards in this game. Uh, Ring got two of them, but I think San Jose players got four or five of them as well. So uh, lots of lots of cautions going on. Yeah, one, twenty-seven fouls too, which is wow. a crazy number for whatever. <laughs> What I've not seen. Uh, let's talk about Johan Romagna because we already talked about he was at fault for I think probably two, I think mo- two, two goals. I don't want to give all of the blame to him, but most of two goals I think can go on Johan's shoulders. Um, he's a fantastic player in many ways, but I think you can see that he lacks a little bit of focus ball watches a little bit too much and just kind of gets caught unaware too often. But (laughs) there's one point in the game where Romagna receives the ball on top of our attacking 18 yard box. (laughs) And Ashley just looked over at me and was like, I have questions for you about this. I was like, what do you mean? It's like, what's he doing? He's like, he's, playing attacking midfield what do you mean like what are you talking about and then a few minutes after that uh this is when we're like pushing super hard brad stuver receives a ball and like pushes the ball past a defender and is like driving up field and she looked at me again is like he's just playing defensive midfield now everyone's just gonna shift up one position (laughs) but yeah romagna like what were your impressions of him aside from those those uh the two mistakes that led to the goals he did some pretty impressive stuff the rest of the night right yeah he does and i mean hopefully this is just him being a you know him being a rookie and him in a new league and like learning to be aware because he's got an interesting set and i think the interesting thing about him is like i don't know how nimble he is because he's a giant guy right but like when he gets on a run like when he's on like running at top line speed you know he can he's he can run past guys with the ball and he's got yeah. decent He's got decent ball skills for like a big guy that size too. Right? He's like dribbling past people. Yeah, he, he dribbled dude, a dude in the box in that game. Yeah. 
So, um, I mean, I love it. I think it's a little bit evident of what you do when you're like down, you know, when you're down a goal and you're down a man and you're just like throwing everybody forward. And that's also when you have like Brad Stuver up, like, you know, take it, trying to, trying to like head the ball in the box on corners and have yeah. it like turn around and run, which we saw a couple times too. But yeah, so you know, they watching, never gave up. That was exciting. Watching the game back, I was curious as to like, did Johan just decide to start doing that or did Wolf tell him somehow to start doing that? And watching back, you know, San Jose does kind of this man marking system where they they go one on one and they just follow those guys around. The way they get away with this, like kind of one of the, the caveats to that is they'll leave one of their center backs not marking a person and they'll leave one of the opposing players free. And that person is usually one of the other center backs. And so there's a lot of moments where Johan would receive the ball and nobody would come after him. And he just kind of stand there and wasn't sure what to do. And it was because he was the free guy. He was the one they weren't marking. And so my guess is either at half or like later on in the game at some point, somebody told Johan like, hey, if they're going to give you that space, take it. Just go take for it. it. Yeah. And as yeah. as we were chasing the game a bit more later on, I think he they just kept not marking him. He's like, okay, I'm going to go try to cause some havoc. And it kind of worked several times. Like we had San Jose on their heels several times, partially because of Johan making those those upfield runs. You know, another thing we saw was Mackenzie Gaines got his first action. Well, Austin FC got this as his first Austin FC and MLS action, but I believe that it's his first MLS action. So we got, what, uh, 10 minutes maybe on the field? Uh Oh yeah, yeah. Probably he, because first, of the plus nine. Yeah, yeah. His first real action was against Tigres. I think he got like eight, five or eight minutes yeah. in that game. But he hadn't signed a contract yet, so I guess it wasn't officially for Austin FC. But uh, yeah, I, I don't. Let's see. I have the he and came in really, ninety plus two, so he got seven minutes. Yeah. And so did you see what did you see out of McKenzie Gaines with seven minutes like do you have an opinion or not i guess is my question i mean the only thing he did that that um that i really noticed was there was one long ball that he was running on onto and i noticed that he was very very fast <laughs> which is probably fine yeah it's probably i a good I'm skill not to have about it um i i saw some people upset that whenever they took gta off that saying that they should have put gains on like I don't. What, what do you think about that? I'd, I don't feel like McKenzie Gaines is a forty-five minute player at this point. He's also just unproven. I mean, you're right. He's coming off of injury, and you don't know what you're going to get. But I, there's some. I think Chris Wellhausen is one of one of these people who I told, I, and I told him this that I disagreed with him. But he was like excited about the McKenzie Gaines signing. I was like, this guy was playing in the German fourth division, and they didn't ask him back. And so, like. There's there's a reason why he doesn't have a team right now and that we're able to pick him up just in the middle of the season. So I I don't know. I'm I'm not going to buy that one. And all, people saying that he's like he's actually a forward, but I don't know how much center forward he actually played. I think he's played more on the wing. So uh yeah, I'm not really buying that one. But um any uh, other player performances we want to touch on before we jump into some more listener questions? Well, I think we could we let's just go straight into it with with our first listener question from um Hawk and ATX about uh, Cecilio, and it's like, does Cecilio did Cecilio look a little less fragile after he had a chance to watch GTA playing the nine? Back to the point about whether Gaines should have come in. Um, I saw a lot less of him falling after contact than usual. I mean, what do you think about that? 
I don't know. I th- I think they're kind of insinuating that maybe Cecilio feels threatened by Chiche. I don't know if that's the case because he's probably just going to play in his more natural position. So I imagine he welcomes it. But uh, maybe he wasn't falling on the ground as much because there was a huge sense of urgency as we yeah. were bleeding goals the first 15 minutes he was on the field. I feel like I feel like Cecilio's a situational flopper. And uh, there was no benefit to him laying on the ground uh, when 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 he was in the match. Yeah, I think that's probably more likely. Uh, Next question is from Daniel B. Nelson. And he says, can you talk about how amazing it was to see Stuver come up for set pieces on stoppage time? And why haven't we done that before? Uh, That was pretty awesome. It's like, again, talking about expectations and not letting myself get too too upset or disappointed in these games. That was pretty thrilling to see this very tall man in a pink shirt, just sprinting up the field to join in on a set piece and then sprint back after he didn't get it. Um, and, but why, why we haven't done it more. I think we just haven't really been in this situation to do that more. Like we don't, there's some games we don't get many corners. And so I would imagine we just haven't gotten a corner in the dying minutes as we are chasing a game. So uh, that's probably why, but I'd have to look back to see exactly if that's the case. Yeah, I think you're probably right about that. Um, and the next question from Daniel B. Nelson, which is one I'm interested in too, because I feel like it's something we talked about a lot. Is it, is it normal for an MLS team to be so secretive about injuries? And Katie Ensign specifically asked about Rodney's injury because we just heard that he had a meniscus. What is it, a tear? I don't um, know that they said specifically on that but he had a meniscus injury of some sort this week. So I feel like for me, that, that's kind of par for the course. I feel like Austin FC has been very secretive about a lot of things from Schoenfeld and Hoosen and, you know, just every every injury we've had. Like, they, like they're very determined to not let a lot of the details get out. So I'm not surprised that if Rodney was nursing an injury that didn't keep him out, but like made him less effective, that they would not share that is do you think that's something that austin fc does more than other teams though well i only have experience in one team i guess i was looking into like what other sports do so the nfl actually has a rule that requires you to report specific injuries and they've had a lot of issues with coaches just not doing it or reporting fake injuries or reporting the wrong body part to try to throw it off. But I think it has to do, it's, it's like a little bit of gamesmanship. It's like not giving away your literal weaknesses. I, I, I I imagine it's probably a thing. Like if you report one in great detail and then don't say anything about the other, then the inconsistency stands out more. But I, I like, yeah, I don't, I'd have to look into other MLS teams, but I know in other sports, this is a thing that is very common that like I think in in hockey, they essentially say upper body injury, lower body injury. And that's the only details you get. Yeah. And I guess I'm inferring a lot from remember there's an allocation disorder before we started playing where they talked about like which teams were leaky and which teams sort of you could just find out everything from. And I remember that the New York NYCFC under Claudia Reyna was a team that was like like a steel trap, like you you, okay. you could never find out anything from. So I feel like maybe that culture, you know, came along to Austin and that's and that's what it is. And I just know, yeah, I get that. Like as fans, you want to know everything about everything, but there's a reason why they they don't. And I guess it's to know 
there's no downside to the club to do that, right? Right. Like if we're, if Rodney's got a sore meniscus and that's why they're not playing him, then that's why they're not playing him, right? There's no, it doesn't hurt him to do that. And this, and going back to Rodney, this wasn't a complete surprise. Like we knew in preseason that he had a knee problem. We never knew exactly what it was, but they did tell us that he had a knee problem. And I don't know that we knew that that's why he wasn't playing as much or wasn't maybe potentially why he wasn't performing as well, because this is the second part of Katie's question is how much it has, has it been impacting his play on the field? And I mean, that's impossible to say, right? Like maybe some, because he looked really good in preseason. He was one of our better players in those preseason games and scored several goals and was involved in several goals, but he got that injury in preseason and then didn't play for several games at the beginning of the season. And when he did start playing, he didn't look good. And so maybe it has affected him. Maybe it's other stuff affecting him. Who knows? Like it's impossible to know. Yeah, let's go. Okay. So Michelle Frash, who's also at Gracolops has some, has a series of questions. Uh, was Wolf wearing the same clothes from Wednesday's match? Yes, he was. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Good. I'm glad we're on that one. Um, and this this is also this is the same questions we got from Jorge. So let's get to this one. Um, with Ring out for Sunday, what do we look like against LA Galaxy? I mean, I think you have to play Little Sebastian because he as he does make some mistakes distributing the ball and passing the ball, but he is the most sound defensive midfielder we have. I think, I think as far as positioning and just knowing the position, well, I think it has to be him. I think the bigger question mark is who we play next to him. I'm guessing we go back to more of like a double pivot. Um, my guess, and I could be completely wrong, but my guess is we maybe see, uh, we see Diego next to him in the midfield. I think the other option would be Danny, but then you have two young, inexperienced players running the center of the midfield. I think maybe you put some experience, some grit back there with him and let Diego play next to little Sebastian. So why Diego and not Pochettino? Uh, well, I'm just guessing what Wolf would do. Uh, and <laughs> okay. What would you do? <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen Pochettino play there. And so I don't know. Um, I, I, that's another thing we've seen people angry about online is like, why won't they play Pochettino there? And like, I don't know the answer because I've never seen him play there. Like the most close to that we've seen him play is one of those two more forward midfielders in the four, three, three with a single pivot. Uh, so honestly, I don't know. Like what do we have evidence to say that Pochettino could play there? Only, only what I read online from people who say he played back there against Tyeras at, at Tyeras. I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe he, I, Chris Bills was asking online, like on Twitter, saying, like, could we play Pochettino at the six? And I, I don't. I, I watched some footage at, at Tyeras. I don't know that he ever played as like a single pivot six. I think it was maybe in a double pivot, but um, he. I mean distribution is good he's not afraid to put in a tackle like he is pretty ag aggressive in when he's defending my question would be the positioning and just kind of like knowing the position and if he's going to be back there 
by himself, but maybe in the, in the double pivot, maybe he would do well, like not necessarily as a lone six, but as that double pivot next to little Sebastian, let little Sebastian be the deeper lying one and play Pochettino there. Maybe that could work. Yeah. Yeah. But the one, the other thing I don't love is what we're forced to do with this game, but I, I don't love that. we like tinker every match, right? Like at some point we need to, figure out where people need to be and, you know, not just like move people around nonstop. And that's my argument against doing that. But against playing Pochettino there. Yeah. Okay. I thought you were going to say that was your argument for, and I was like, wait no, a no, second. No, 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 yes. no, no, no. I'm just saying like, cause I feel like everybody wants to mess around with the lineup every game, depending upon the results of the previous, yeah. the previous game. That's probably not the best way to like run a team. No, I'm, my guess is we see little Sebastian and Diego, as the double pivot, and then in front of him, Cecilio on the left, Drew C in the middle, uh, maybe Gallagher on the right. No, sorry, Pochettino on the right, and then Gite up top. Which and then you just yeah, honestly, sounds pretty good. Like aside from Ring not being on the field, yeah. All right, let's um, Chris Wellhausen asked a question that we will never have enough time to answer. <laughs> What do we need to do to fix our defense? Jeez. Uh, Chris, Chris, Chris. I don't know the answer. <laughs> I saw, I wish I could remember who I heard saying this, but they were saying that our defensive issues, or like not even defensive issues, the issues with the whole team are kind of a moving target. And then it's been something different every time. And so I think defense is maybe a little more defined than that. And so part of it is, is speed like our defenders are just not very fast and so we have to play a certain way or if we get caught out of position we can't catch up Romagna solves for a little bit of that he's faster than than Cascante and Beasler, but he falls asleep sometimes and just gets beat and so I think the things that Cascante is really good at are things that uh, sorry the things that Romagna are really good at are things that Cascante and Beasler can't do and then the things that Beasler is really good at are things that Romagna can't do. And so just like being the right place, right time, like the goals that uh, that Romagna was at fault for, if Beasler's in on those particular moments, those plays don't happen. But there's some other moments that Romagna just bullies a guy and takes the ball off of him in in a pretty dangerous position and Beasler doesn't do that. And so right. I think it's like it's this give and take. And like I think you put one in and it solves a few problems but creates a few more. And so moving forward, I think I mean I think Beasler has a season left as like a part-time player and his leadership and experience I think is valuable. But I would like to see Austin bring in um a high level center back to kind of be the like a pillar in that defense. And then you have Cascante who is overall usually pretty good. He makes the mistakes here and there, but overall he's he's a decent center back. Romagna who is I think a really high ceiling but makes these mistakes and I'm hoping these are things that he can learn and get better at as he gets older and more experienced, but um I I think we need to bring someone in. I don't know that like the current uh, current roster is going to be able to fix this defense. Um, another thing I think we need is 
a second established defensive midfielder. If we believe that that can be Sebastian Berhalter within the next year, fine. I don't know if I'm completely sold on that, but we need someone who can either play when rings not available or we can play ring more advanced and play as that defensive uh, defensive midfielder. But I think those two things would solve a lot of our problems. Yeah, that touches on, we had some questions about 2022 and then we had this discussion on Twitter this week about like the biggest additions or changes that we need to make. And I think we both agree, like if we only, if we can only do one thing, it would be to get like a high level Tam center back. Yeah. That would make the, make the biggest possible difference in the overall um, roster. So I'm going to go to the next question, which is give me a Miley Cyrus recommendation, which is actually give me another Miley Cyrus recommendation. Where did, where did this come from? Did you give a Miley Cyrus recommendation on the show and I missed it? No, I, t- I talk about Miley Cyrus a lot on Twitter. Okay. And somebody asked me about it there. And then and then I tweeted after the show that everybody should listen to The Climb by Miley Cyrus, which is like, it's not about the outcome. It's about the climb. And I felt like that was very much in the position we were in, like as being Austin FC fans, right? You know, there's always going to be another mountain, but like we just need to enjoy this journey through it. So that was my Miley Cyrus. So, so that was my first one. I mean, my second one would be uh, Miley Cyrus and Billy Idol did an album, did a song together called <laughs> Nightcrawling, which is like the weirdest possible combination of artists. So check that one out too. Miley Cyrus and Billy Idol doing Nightcrawling. All right. On the Plastic Hearts album, by the way. <laughs> is that Miley Cyrus's album or Billy Idol's album? It's it's Miley Cyrus's. There's a lot of good okay. stuff on that one. It's a great. It's like <laughs> Miley pretending she was born in the 80s and doing her like Madonna, Cindy Lauper impression. All right. I'll check it out. All right, let's go to the next question from Landry Felkel. He says, probably not enough time before you record. You're wrong, Landry. Jeremiah did the homework in between when you posted this and when we were recording. Uh, Landry continues, but I want to know, out of all the goals scored against us all season, how many were from set pieces or corner kicks, and then how does that number or percentage stack up against other teams? So what did you find out, Jeremiah? Well, I guess what would what would you when Landry asked that? What do you think his assumption was? I think he's guessing it's high. Uh, my I haven't looked at these numbers. You told me that you did the research, and I just didn't do it. Then <laughs> um, I'm going to guess we're like middle of the pack. I don't think it's high or low. That's well. That's in terms of set pieces. That's very that's very good. So we've allowed 40 goals this season. So if you look just at open play, we've actually allowed. Toronto is the only team that's allowed more goals in open play than Austin has. So we're the second worst at that. If you look at uh, goals on the counter, we're also the second worst at that. Um, So for set pieces, we're actually 16th in goals allowed. So we're middle of the pack. So we're actually better at defending set pieces than we are open play or counter attack. Which I was a little bit surprised by because I feel like, you know, the, the... Recency bias is I feel like we're getting beat on set pieces, but when you look at it in context of the whole season, we're actually not as bad at that as we are um, in, in some other places. And we luckily are, uh, there's like 10 teams that ha- don't have no own goals and we're, and we're on that list too. So we haven't, right. we haven't done that yet. Maybe that means we're due. Uh, Damn it. I, sh- I shouldn't have brought it up. Where, where are we sitting in overall goals goals conceded at this point because i know for so, early in the season we were like doing pretty well and i 
think we've slipped as far yeah, as we've that goes. Slipped, so we're yeah, so we're we've allowed forty goals, which so we're in the I think it's around I think we're around tenth. We're it's like the tenth most the tenth worst, yeah, yeah. in terms of okay. goals conceded. Because it's been a pretty bad run of the last month or so. Yeah, that seems to track. All right. So next one, Paco Saavedra mentions uh playoffs being almost mathematically out of the picture. So Chris Bills actually found a website that I, I couldn't get to work when I tried to open it, but he posted a screenshot of it and it kind of plays the percentages of, um, of if we win X amount of games, this is the percentage that will make the playoffs. And so it is pretty unlikely at this point. Um, we have nine games left. If we were to win, let's say five of nine, five of our remaining nine games, we'd have a 56% chance of making the playoffs. So um, I don't feel confident that we're going to win five of our last nine, but what, what do you think would be a reasonable number for us to win of these last nine games? Considering that we've won zero of the last five, uh, I'll take, man, I mean, we're like in wooden spoon territory now too, right? Like we're, yeah, we're pretty close. I think we're one point ahead of Cincinnati as far as being the worst team in the league overall. So I think I think three would be good. Three games. So if we win three games, we have a 33% chance of making the playoffs. So I think that's, that's taking into account other teams messing up worse than us, right? So, um, I mean, it could still happen. I'm not going to get my hopes up for it, <laughs> but... Maybe we maybe we take four. We got the four games is a forty four percent chance, and so I don't know. It, it could still happen, but I'm gonna I'm gonna not expect it to happen. And if it happens, it'll be the greatest thrill of my life. But um, I'm gonna play the realistic side here. Hey, do you want to talk about like we can't make the playoffs, but there is a uh, silverware potential in our future? Oh yeah. Is that a, a listener question or should we just? Yeah, well, there's a listener question here about if we somehow pull off winning Copa Tejas, will both of you hold me for the keg stand of Italian Pilsner and Hop Squad? <laughs> and I can guarantee you the absolutely the answer to that is yes. So maybe let's like talk about the Copa Tejas standings as they are right now. And that's from at Gore-Tex Haver for the record. At Gore-Tex Haver. Who, who, yeah, who also wanted the Miley Cyrus recommendation. So yeah. clearly he asked the kinds of questions that I love. So... <laughs> Yeah, so would so Dallas lost on Saturday three two to Houston, fired Lucci Gonzalez after two and a half years, um, and that left them at eight points, Houston at eight points, and us at three points in Copa Tejas, and we play both of them. So if we pick up two wins in those matches, whether we lose every other match at all, we would we would be the Copa Tejas winners. Like, do you feel like that's a good ending to the season? That sound that seems amazing to me because <laughs> I saw this question. I was like, "There's no way we can win it." <laughs> I honestly, I I don't think I realized we played Houston again, which is probably part of it. But uh, yeah, we got Houston I mean, here, by the way, because that's a lot better than going to Houston again. But yeah, yeah but the Houston games at home, and I think Dallas is on the road. I don't remember that's right. for sure. Yeah, it's on the road. Um, yeah, I mean that would that would be some consolation for sure if we could win the. The MLS Copa Tejas. Yeah, I'll take that. 
Love it. And we and at Gore-Tex Haver, we will hold you for a keg stand of an Italian Pilsner, although I don't know if the good folks at Hop Squad will be up for that. Like, let's pick. Oh, let's pick. There's one good. There's one more good question from Scott Speck. And it's which player on the team would you be most heartbroken if they weren't on the team in 2022? Hmm. Do you have an uh, an answer ready? Because I think I'm gonna have to peek over the roster real quick. Uh, yeah, and I want to be from among one that's like realistically not on the roster in 2022, which I guess it's gonna be. So you can't you can't have any DPS. You can't have Danny. Would we sign Diego as a free agent? Diego is a free agent, so he probably has a longer contract. Uh, but. Diego's still pretty young. Maybe come somebody comes in and tries to buy him off of us. Um, yeah, that would. I think that would be pretty heartbreaking. There, that would be. Yeah, that would be heartbreaking too. Um, and I think, generally, I think Stuver, after the year he's had, would be. Yeah. and that's and that's one we don't know. I mean, I don't. Yeah, thinking I mean, about I, where he came from and what he makes, like I don't think we can assume that he has a multi-year contract. So right. That would, yeah. 30, 30 years old wasn't expected to be the starter. You could you could see realistically maybe they gave him a one year contract. After this year, maybe he's saying, "All right, pay me now. I'm I want some money. I want to I want to get mine." <laughs> uh, that would I think that's the answer. There is Stuver. That if he left, I think that would be a pretty big blow. And it's like the one that maybe could leave. I think the other ones that would be big blows aren't very likely to happen. Um, I think some like honorable mentions, like someone like John Gallagher, I could see him not being on the team just to kind of make some, some space. Or if he's on a shorter contract, maybe he's going to want a little bit, a little bit more money at some point. Uh, I'd be pretty upset to see him go, but I think it's something that could potentially happen. All right. So Landon, I, uh, I was on moon tower soccer Twitter on Saturday morning and saw you standing on a bucket. <laughs> <laughs> I believe yes. you were at an academy match, or we went, I don't, you, I actually don't don't know which one you were, you were at. So, like, talk about that. Yeah, U17s versus uh, Solar, which is a, an academy in Dallas. So, we actually our season tickets. We sit next to uh, a family whose son plays on the U17 team, and he's been on the U fit like he's been in the academy for a few years now. So he's like kind of that original group that's now on the U17 team. And Ashley has like kind of gotten to know this family because she's usually sitting next to next to the mother in this family and is talking to them. And Ashley was telling me that she like looks at the players a little bit differently after talking to this woman about the experience of her son being in the academy and how difficult it is because they're they're teenagers, but they're like they're being treated like professionals at this point. Like they're at the age where the pressure is high and like you have to train like a professional and live like a professional if you want to make it. And she's just like, I just realized that all these players have mothers that care about them and are nervous oh. about them. And just like looking at the adults, because some of them aren't much older than the U17 kids, right? And that they're all just like, they're all people with moms. But yeah, I, I went out to the game. And because of that, Ashley decided she was going to go out with me and watch watch the our seat neighbor's son play. But uh, U17s, I think they won two to one against Solar, which... Um, Solar Academy is in Dallas, but they're consistently ranked in the top 10, 15 academies in the country. They they produce some pretty good players coming out of there. And then FC Dallas ends up kind of taking some of those players occasionally 
and and producing them continuing their their production there but um yeah they looked looked good uh owen wolf did not play in this game i believe and you can probably confirm this better than i can who can he actually play against Yes, I went and backed and read the article that Chris Bills wrote about from the press conference. And so Owen Wolf can play in matches against other MLS academies, but not like the other teams in MLS next. So he wouldn't have been eligible for solar. But like if they had played FC Dallas or Houston Dynamo Academy, he would be eligible. So the guess is he'll be eligible for about 16 of the MLS next games between now and the end of the season. Okay. I did actually see Owen Wolf out at the fields. I imagine I don't know if he was just there to watch his little brother play because the the youngest Wolf son plays on the U14 team, I believe. So I think maybe he was out there watching him. But um, yeah, I'll be looking forward to watching watching Owen play. I I do have I want to make a follow up comment from last last episode when we were talking about Owen Wolf being the first homegrown player. I didn't want to make too bold of a statement because I hadn't seen the U17 team play this year. But going back to like people wanting the first homegrown to have been one of the players that's already in the academy, um, I'm even more convinced that Owen Wolf is the most qualified quote-unquote academy player to be the first homegrown and the most ready to get first team minutes after watching that U 17 team play probably one of the best players, if not the best player is still Micah Burton, who is in that, uh, that Oh six group born in 2006. So he's in the younger group. So still 15 years old. He's probably one of the better players on there. The other players that are on his level are all new guys who just got just came into the academy. They've played three games with the academy team. And so the most qualified people to give this contract to have are either 15 years old or and probably not ready, or they're 16 years old and have played three games for the Austin FC Academy. So and they, and they've come from somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. There's some of them several of them from San Antonio, some of them from uh, other states even. And so yeah, I I think that confirmed my my belief that Owen Wolf, like regardless of the optics of it all, I think he is still probably the most ready player to to get that contract and maybe see first team minutes in the near future. Well, that leads to a Clint Cox question, which is when do we expect to see um, something first team wise out of the Austin FC Academy? Yeah, and I believe uh, Marcelo Teson asked a very similar question, asking about how will the academies help our depth, um, and like, uh, yeah, essentially, what can the academy provide in terms of depth? I think next season there will probably be a few guys who would be ready to to be just that depth, like in the case, like when Seattle came here. And they played those 15-year-olds. I don't know that we have 15-year-olds that are ready to be thrown in, but we're going to have some 17-year-olds next year that probably could be thrown into a game in an emergency situation or be on the bench if we have injuries or whatever. I think next season we will have a few guys that will be that way. I think 2023 we'll probably have quite a few that could be in that position, maybe even on the first team playing with the first team at that point. So 
um, these, these kids are good. Like <laughs> they, I, I think a lot of people maybe went out and saw some of these games when they were a lot younger and they look like little kids playing, but they're this U 17 team. Most of them are 15, 16 years old. They're starting to, to look like men and they're, they're playing soccer like men. Like they, they, they're very good soccer players. And I think some of these kids will end up on the first team either with Austin or elsewhere. Like these kids can play. So let's really quickly get into the game on Sunday. And we've talked a little bit about how we've got time to, Hopefully rest up and should be able to put our best 11 on the field. So we play minus Alex ring <laughs> minus Alex ring. Right. Oh, you know what? Another thing, like I thought for a little while we were going to be minus Danny Pereira too, because he got his fifth yellow card. But then I learned there's like a good behavior rule in MLS where if you go five matches without a yellow card, you get one knocked off. And right, so yeah. Danny's back down to four, which means if he gets another yellow card, in the next five matches, he's, he's out. But luckily we we're not missing two of our three defensive midfield options for the galaxy game. So the galaxy sit fourth in the West. Um, we've not had great experience with them so far. Um, they got a lot of guys who are really big names like Chicharito, who's scored 11 goals and don't, he may be leading the league or he's near the top of the league. Um, they I don't think he's leading anymore, but he's still high on the list there. They got Sebastian Yaget. They got Sasha Cleston. They are a deep team. Um, they clearly, you know, like the change in coaching and change in culture has paid off for them um, this year. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough match, and I don't know what else to say about LA beyond and that. Other they than had we, some we they had some injuries for a while, and I think they're pretty healthy right now. Chicharito was out for a while. Jonathan dos Santos, who's a really good player, was out for a while. I think they're all back. Um, and so yeah, they've. They've got some some really good players. Are really healthy. Have been in decent form. And you said they're in fourth place right now. Yeah, they're in fourth place right now. I mean, I think the best thing that we can say uh, on the Austin side of things is that I mean they they did draw Houston and they lost to Minnesota the last two matches. So maybe there's a little bit of a dip. But I I don't. It's going to be a we're going to need to play our best in order to pull this yeah, one off. Absolutely. All right. Well, anything else about that game before we wrap up, Jeremiah? No, I think I think that's that kind of covers it. All right. Cool. Uh, well, we would like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We also want to remind you to uh, pre-order a Moon Tower Soccer shirt if you want one of those. They're going to be really cool. Uh, I'm really proud of how they're going to look. I'm happy to share them with you and and to see those those shirts out in the wild. If you want to continue the conversation, come find us on Twitter at LVAHero87. Jeremiah's at jbentley underscore ATX. And then we're at, at Moon Tower Soccer, both on Twitter and Instagram. And you can also visit the Striker Texas website. Uh, is there an article you want to plug this week, Jeremiah? I do. So our our good friend Phil West wrote an article about our good friends at the Fighting Leslie's. And yeah. Their, their group and their shirt launch and we've agreed to wear each other's shirts which is good because i was felt a little weird about wearing a moon tower soccer shirt around town <laughs> so i feel like if we can wear the fighting leslie's and they can wear a moon tower soccer like well, there'll be an even trade-off so i'm excited you know to, to to be able to do that and just sort of read how they came about it's a really cool story um, about a group of soccer fans who have lived in austin for a long time and sort of had the chance to come together around austin fc yeah absolutely 
Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll be back in one week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer, where we will review the LA Galaxy match, then preview the Colorado and RSL matches. Two more next week. And then cover any other Austin FC news that comes up. Until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. When no one is around. Hey, everybody. I don't even remember what I say now. <laughs> <laughs> bo, 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 Jeremiah Bentley. Oh.